Welcome to Coping with Ghosting, the show that provides hope, healing, and understanding to anyone who's been ghosted. I'm your host, Greta, and we're examining the seven common cognitive distortions that can happen after being ghosted, how to reframe them, and how to kick those limiting beliefs to the curb for good. My guest is Dr. April E. House, and she's a Los Angeles, California-based marriage and family therapist and mindset coach who specializes in helping clients free themselves from perfectionism so they feel empowered to transform their lives. Dr. April, thank you for returning to the show. Thank you so much, Greta. I had so much fun the last time we did this, and I was really, really excited to come back and do this again today. I'm so glad you're here. So can you share with listeners what a cognitive distortion is? Absolutely. So cognitive distortions are just patterns of thinking that are exaggerated or irrational that cause a person to perceive things inaccurately and usually negatively. Who experiences cognitive distortions? Anyone can have them from time to time. You know, we're all human. I'm sure you can think of a time or two when you have. I know I can. Yes, definitely. But mostly they're more common around people who are dealing with depression, anxiety, you know, other mental health concerns. They're really our brain's way of trying to cope by filling in the missing pieces and trying to solve the problem, but obviously not helpful. Yeah. And together we prepared a list of seven cognitive distortions that can arise after being ghosted. So I'd love for us to dive right into them. The first is polarized thinking. Can you explain to our listeners what that means and what are some examples of it? Sure. So polarized thinking, which is also very commonly called all or nothing or black and white thinking, is probably one of the most common types of cognitive distortions. So this type of thinking error just frames the situation in extremes. Here are some examples we came up with together. I'm never going to find someone who will truly love me. I'm always going to be alone. I can't trust anyone. Those are some of the ones that I've heard with people in my coaching sessions and in my practice and just with everything that I've been doing. And Mm -hmm. it's really heartbreaking when I hear this because there's such extreme statements that are not based in reality. Like these are such limiting beliefs. So what are some ways that listeners can overcome them? Well, so the skill I want to share today is balancing your thinking. Practice looking for the middle ground or the gray possibilities. See if you can step back and see what might exist in between those two extremes. Be on the lookout for extreme language, like always, never, completely, forever. So let's go back to our examples that we've listed. That first thought was, I'm never going to find someone who will truly love me. So a possible balanced thought to replace that one is, It may take some time to meet someone who I find a mutual attraction and connection with. Push out that extreme thinking. Mm -hmm. Okay. Our second thought was, I'm always going to be alone. A possible balanced thought to replace that one is, I have people in my life I value spending time with, and eventually I will meet a partner if I stay open to it. So our third one here, our last one is, I can't trust anyone. And a possible balanced thought to replace that one is, I have a few people in my life I know I can trust, 
And I can choose to continue working on trusting myself. You know me, I am really, really big on this. Uh, Clients will often say, I don't think I can trust anyone, but really comes down to trusting yourself first. I can see where it may be difficult to trust yourself after being ghosted, but investing time in building trust in yourself is always time well spent. You can trust yourself that regardless what happens, even if you were to be ghosted again, that you can use your support system and come out on the other side stronger. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I think that you have been through such a hard time with this. And if you're not going to put yourself out there, you're not going to trust anybody, the new friendships might not even ever have the opportunity to blossom. And I have a little bonus skill to throw in here because this is one of my favorite things to do with clients. I like to encourage clients to keep what I call a trust journal. And actually, I think we might've discussed this at some point. So allow this to be a working document to jot down reasons you can trust yourself. You can start with a brainstorming session to get you started. One example I like to use is driving a car. Almost everybody drives, you know, I'm I'm guessing unless you're in New York or somewhere else, I suppose. But in general, you trust yourself probably every day to drive safely without harming yourself or others. Others might be you trust yourself to go to work, to be a good friend, or even brush your teeth. Like, I know that sounds silly, but nothing's too small to start building, to building that list. Just get in the habit of checking in with yourself every day and building up those reasons why you can trust yourself. And like I said, nothing is too small. I really like that. And trusting yourself that you know that whatever it is life throws at you, you will be able to get through it as well. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the next cognitive distortion on our list. It's personalization. So let's talk about this one. What what does that mean exactly? And, and what are some examples? Personalization is just like it sounds. It's when you take something personally and make yourself responsible for something when it really has nothing to do with you. Some examples we came up with together. I caused the person to ghost me because I suggested we meet at a restaurant he didn't like. He ghosted me because I wasn't, fill in the blank, pretty enough, smart enough, funny enough. We can all go there with those insecurities, right? And put it on us. And the third one we came up with is they ghosted me, so they must not think I'm worthy of an explanation or goodbye. That's a big one that I see all the time. How can somebody who is thinking like this stop themselves from believing it? So the skill I'm going to give them today is called checking the facts. Just start by asking yourself, what are the absolute facts? Keep in mind that when we're emotional, we can treat our feelings as facts, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Facts are objective and observable. I always tell my clients to think about it like this. If I were sitting here with a few other people watching the situation play out like a movie, Each one of us would describe it in a similar way. And here's another question to ask yourself. What else could be going on? The person may be going through a tough time. Maybe they just had a recent death in the family or they're dealing with their own mental health issues or insecurities. I totally get how it's hard not to take things personally when you're ghosted, but you don't have enough information to come to these kinds of conclusions. So why choose to believe them? It's human for us to try to put the blame on ourselves because subconsciously our brain thinks that if it's our fault, then maybe we can fix it, which makes us feel more in control, but it just really doesn't work that way. 
I love those tips. Thank you so much for that. I think check the facts is a really important thing. So how do you know that somebody felt you weren't pretty enough? How do you know that you weren't funny enough? A person who ghosts is suddenly leaving the relationship without an explanation, which means they didn't tell you those things. Exactly. I would be careful to make any type of assumptions whatsoever here. Yeah, exactly. I know these are your favorite, Dr. April, the shoulds. What are the shoulds and what are some examples of them? Yeah, I know you know this, Greta. It's my mission in life to eliminate the word should from everyone's vocabulary in the entire world. (laughs) Shoulds are judgments based on assumptions or expectations that might not even belong to you, but you haven't stopped to question them. Shoulds are internalized from family, friends, society, just to name a few. Shoulds about yourself set you up to criticize yourself and feel shame for not measuring up. And then shoulds about other people or situations or the world set you up to feel angry, disappointed, and resentful. Some examples we came up with together. I should have dressed nicer for our date. People shouldn't talk about religion or politics on dates. I shouldn't have overshared. I shouldn't have texted so soon or so often. I should be married by now. That's a big one that I hear a lot. And then you said this one is very, very common. I should have seen this coming. Right. And all of those are so unhelpful to the healing journey. So I wonder how people can stop shooting all over themselves. (laughs) Yeah. The skill I want to give them is a a multi-part skill, which involves identifying, challenging, and reframing your shoulds. So first, identify where the should came from. Is it yours or someone else's, right? So like, here's an easy example I always use. You should always make your bed in the morning when you get up, right? Where did that come from? Do you like making your bed? Do you even care? Your mom probably said that. And now you have this rule in your head that you have to do this every day, right? So if it's not your should, determine where it came from and question that should's authority. Why should you do whatever this thing is? Why shouldn't you? Next, if it's yours, decide why you prefer it. When it is truly a want or a preference, there usually aren't any negative feelings around it, you know, like with shoulds. In addition to rampant self-criticism, shoulds breed guilt, shame, and the desire to people please. And it can be hard to feel motivated to do whatever the should is demanding. Allow yourself to begin to notice shoulds without judgment. You have to be able to make it safe for yourself to do the work. If you find yourself shooting your shoulds, take a breath. What I mean by this is once you start to notice shoulds, there are probably going to be a lot of them. It's common to find yourself getting frustrated and shaming yourself because you shouldn't be saying should so much. Be patient with yourself. It's a process. Shoulds become a default that isn't conscious. So if you can make the space to notice them, you can eventually shift them. Once you have a good amount of awareness around your shoulds, experiment with other language to own your wants and preferences. It's definitely way more empowering. Set aside time to ask yourself, what do I want? Is this my preference or should? Why do I prefer this? Try language like I choose, I prefer, I want, etc. 
Oh, I really like that. I choose, I prefer, and I want are the words to replace the word should. That is great. Thank you for giving us a substitution. Absolutely. And I want to give a little bonus skill here to take it even further. Should they like to do a little bit more work on this? Based on your wants, spend some time and figure out what your values are. For example, here's a should. I should spend more time with my friends and call them more often, which becomes, I want to spend time with my friends because I value my relationships and I want my friends to feel important. That sounds a lot better. The next cognitive distortion is emotional reasoning. What is an example of it? Emotional reasoning is when you treat your feelings as facts. You assume the way you feel about a situation is a credible indicator of reality when it absolutely is not, right? When you get caught up in emotional reasoning, it keeps you from being able to think logically. So an example of this is, which I hear all the time, I feel like I am never going to find a partner. I am unlovable. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's all too common, unfortunately. Um, so how can listeners stop this stinking thinking? Yes, exactly. The skill I'm going to give your listeners today is called thought diffusion. When we're talking about emotional reasoning, we are too fused or stuck to our thoughts. And in order to see them more realistically, we need to step back and get some distance from them or diffuse from them. Try this. Separate your thoughts from your feelings as if you're sorting them into two different baskets. For example, that first thought, when I think I'm never going to find a partner, I feel impatient and discouraged. Here's that second one. When I have the thought I am unlovable, I feel sad and lonely. The more you practice separating your thoughts from your feelings, the more you'll be able to access more logical thinking when you're feeling emotional. That sounds really good. Thank you for that. Sure. All right. Moving on to the next cognitive distortion, overgeneralization. Can you explain what overgeneralization is and some examples? Overgeneralization is when a person comes to a conclusion about one event or experience and then implies that incorrect interpretation to everything similar. So some examples are... You were ghosted once by a person you met on Bumble, so you conclude that everyone you meet through online dating sites will ghost you. Another one is, you couldn't rely on your dad to be there for you when you were growing up, so all guys will abandon you eventually. I'm going to go ahead and include with overgeneralization a second type of distorted thinking, which is just the extreme version of overgeneralization, and this is called global labeling. So global labeling is when you make a sweeping judgment about yourself or others' value based on a single situation or experience. And I grouped these together because they're very, very similar, right? There's Mm, just a more extreme version of the same thing. Mm -hmm. So here are a couple examples of global labeling. All guys are jerks and don't care about women. I'm such a loser because I suck at dating. I'm going to guess you've probably maybe heard a couple of these things a few times. I have, and it always really pains my heart to hear such harsh blanket statements like that. They're just untrue. Me too. Absolutely. So this skill I want to give them today is I'm calling questioning the thought. 
first question, how does the thought affect how you feel? Then how does it affect your behavior or motivation? Use this framework to fill in the blanks. When I think this thought, then I feel this feeling, which leads to what behavior? So example, going back to the bumble thought. When I think that everyone I meet on dating sites will ghost me, I feel discouraged, which leads me to want to give up on online dating and dating in general. Obviously, this is an unhelpful thought, right? Mm-hmm. Let's try another one. The all guys are jerks thought. When I think all guys are jerks and don't care about women, I feel resentful, which leads me to want to protect myself and avoid trusting anyone, which makes me want to avoid dating. Obviously, once again, an unhelpful thought. If you get in the habit of using this formula to question your thoughts, you'll feel more in control and be able to think more logically without grouping things together so unrealistically. Okay, so just to make sure I understand, so it's when I think this thought X, then I feel those feelings Y, which leads to Z behavior? Yes, affects on the behavior or your motivation also. Okay, so if I'm feeling kind of crummy, maybe what I would do to is pause and go back to the original thought that's causing me to feel crummy and then rethink about it in a different way and think, how does, how is this statement making me feel? How is this affecting my, my mood right now? And I think that's really good because what's happening is when you're feeling upset about being ghosted, just remember, okay, I'm going to pause and I'm going to see, and it kind of goes back to almost everything you're talking about here, which is just checking the facts. Like, is this even true? Right. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're all related. And here's the thing. We're listing these skills with each of these types of cognitive distortions. And these skills can be applied anywhere and everywhere along, you know, these different cognitive distortions, just experiment and find what works for you. Yeah, I think that's great advice because sometimes we just spiral out of control and it really is important to just question what's really true and what's an assumption and what's just a generalization, a blanket statement, a personalization. All of these things are, this is just really helpful, Dr. April. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Okay. So the next one is blaming. What is this one and and what is an example of it? Blaming is just what it sounds like. You irrationally assign all the blame to yourself or someone else for a situation that in reality involves many other factors that are outside of your control. So some examples are, I made him ghost me. My ghost made me feel worthless. My ghost made me never want to date again. Yeah. Somebody made me. Those are all pretty intense. Mm Mm-hmm. The skill I'm going to give your listeners is to identify what you have control of and what could you do differently next time without placing blame. While it's not helpful to blame yourself, it's also not helpful to blame the other person because it puts you in the role of being victim, which can cause you to feel more out of control. Be creative and see what you can identify that you could do differently if you were to find yourself in a similar situation in the future. This is much more empowering than falling into victimhood, which takes all the power away from you. So, for example, while I'm hurt that I was ghosted, I couldn't possibly be in control of how a person decides to communicate 
or not communicate. Next time I accept a date, I can breathe and ground myself and choose not to put any expectations on the situation. Just go and be in the moment and try to have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really nice. I like that a lot. Perfect. So do you have any other advice for our listeners about ghosting in general or even just cognitive distortions? Yeah, I mean, you know me, I always go back to self-compassion, like be kind to yourself, have some patience. You know, if you find yourself being harsh on yourself, just step back, take a breath and be gentle. Self-compassion is such an important piece. And I know it's part of one of the cornerstones of your work as well. So thank you. Absolutely. So finally, Dr. April, how can listeners connect with you? Well, they can find me over on Instagram at rebel underscore against underscore perfectionism. They can also email me at April E house, L M F T at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Absolutely. Greta. I really hope that this helps a lot of your listeners. Thank you. And listeners, remember when you are ghosted, you have more time to connect with yourself and people who have stellar communication skills. You deserve the best. Did you know that I offer coaching for people who have been ghosted as well as a live support group? And my website features free guides, including how to cope with ghosting and six different texts that you can send over to somebody who ghosted you. Visit copingwithghosting.com to learn more. You just